In this concluding sermon on the end times, we present a quick chapter by chapter summary of the book of Revelation to understand the timeline or sequence of events as revealed to the apostle John. Get into God's word this morning. So if you don't mind, uh, could you please stand and we'll hold our Bibles high up in the air together and make our declaration loud, bold and strong. This is God's word. This is God speaking to me. I am who God says I am. I can do what God says I can do. I will become everything God has promised. I'm saved, healed, delivered, redeemed. I'm blessed, victorious, prosperous, triumphant. I'm a minister of God, a servant of Christ, and a channel of his blessing to many people. I receive his word. I believe his word and I live by his word. Christ is my master and to him I am in absolute surrender in Jesus name. Amen. God bless you. Please turn turn around to the person sitting next to you. Give them your name. Say hello. Let them know you're happy to see them in church this morning. All right. We're going to do something we haven't done before, uh, which is uh, try to complete the whole book of Revelation in 40 minutes. (laughs) We're going to try. (laughs) All right, this is our last Sunday on this series on the end times. Uh, We've been uh, looking at it from different angles. And in this last sermon, what we're going to do is try to summarize this whole book of Revelation. Uh, It's 22 chapters long. Uh, Some of you may have read the book of Revelation, uh, and uh, so when you hear these things this morning, it may just connect back to what you have read. For some of us who have not read it, you know, when you go back and read it, then a lot of these things will uh, come alive, will make sense. Um, Just a little bit of background. The book of Revelation, of course, was the last book of the Bible that was written, uh, given to Apostle John, one of the 12 apostles of the Lord Jesus. Uh, He was well in his years, probably about 90 years or so at this time. Uh, John was part of the church in Ephesus. uh, But during that time, uh, the Roman emperor who was in power at that time began to persecute the Christians. And he was really out to stop the spread of Christianity. So one of the things that he did was to banish John off to a little island called Patmos, uh, which is east uh, into the agency that's from modern-day Turkey, out, out of that, going out of Turkey, you have a little island called Patmos, so just a tiny little island, about 30-some kilom- square kilometers, and John was banished there. This was about 95 AD, so you're looking at about 60 years after the ascension of Jesus Christ. So Jesus has gone to heaven, uh, 60 years later, all this is happening. And so on that island where John is by himself, the Lord gives him this powerful revelation, which is the book of Revelation, an unfolding of all the events that are to take place. So uh, he, John, is instructed by the Lord to write these things down, and uh, the book of Revelation chapter 1 opens up with this wonderful blessing on those who hear it and who keep the words. So really, God is saying, you know, you read this book, you Make sure you live by these things. I mean, you let it impact your life. You're going to be blessed. An opening, uh, uh, opening in, in Revelation chapter 1. 
I just want to bring our attention. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to Revelation chapter 1. You will not see the verses up on the screen. We're just going to flip through these books, uh, chapters as quickly as we can. In verse 19 of Revelation 1, the Lord, Jesus, uh, the Lord has sent his messenger, an angel. At some points we see that an elder, one of the elders are speaking to John. There are times when an angel speaks to John. But a messenger is sent to John. In verse 19, he tells John, write the things which you have seen. The things which are and the things which will take place after this. So he says, you write down the things you've seen, the vision you've had of the Lord, which is in chapter 1. And he also write down the things that are. So the Lord is going to speak to him about things that are happening, which was in John's time, 95 AD. And about things which will take place. So if you look at the next picture, where you try to break up the book of Revelation... In relation to our panoramic view of the sequence of events, major sequence of events that would take place, which we've uh, dealt with in in one of the earlier Sundays, you'll find that Revelation chapter 1, 2, and 3 covered things that are. Things that John saw about the death and resurrection of Jesus and things that are happening up until that time. Revelation chapter 4 onwards deals with things to come to pass in the future. Revelation 4 onwards. Uh, Revelation chapter 6 all the way through chapter 19 and verse 15 deals with that seven-year period of the tribulation. So from chapter 6 to 19, verse 15 is dealing with the tribulation. The end, chapter 19, verse 16, 21 deals with the battle of Armageddon, very specifically. And then you have chapter 20, verses 1 to 10, dealing with the thousand-year reign of Jesus And the end of chapter 20, you have verses there dealing with the great white throne judgment. And chapters 21 and 22 dealing with the new heavens and the new earth. So you can just broadly break up the book of Revelation in connection with the sequence of events as shown here. So let's begin with chapter 1. In chapter 1, John is on Sunday. See, Sunday on on, on the Lord's Day, it's called. And he was in the spirit. He was caught up. And he saw... The Lord Jesus sitting on the throne. Uh, he saw the Lord Jesus in all his might and power. And, and, and this in Revelation 1, he sees Jesus walking among seven lampstands. And he sees in his hand seven stars. This is Revelation 1. So in chapters 2 and 3, the Lord begins to explain to John that, John, I have a message for each for seven churches. So each of these seven churches were churches located in cities in and around modern-day Turkey. In fact, they were very close to each other, these seven churches. And uh, the Lord Jesus is giving a message to each one of those churches. Now, in those days, there was one church in a city. Like, not like today where we've got many, many local churches uh, in a city. The city is so huge. Uh, yes, the body of Christ in a city, in the city is only one. But today we meet in many different local churches. In those days, there were small groups, not very big. And the Lord Jesus is giving a message to each one of these churches in these seven cities. What is interesting to see in chapters 2 and chapter 3, as the Lord Jesus is speaking to, these, uh, to each of these seven churches, is that six out of these seven churches, he has to rebuke them for something. He says, something is not right. He says, I know your works. I know all the wonderful things you are doing. But there are some things you need to fix in your church. What is interesting is that for two of the churches, he corrects them because there are, they are permitting wrong doctrine to be taught in their midst, to 
go on. So that's how serious Jesus takes in the teaching what is being taught in the church. The Lord Jesus is observing everything that's going on in the congregation in the church. And so he's correcting two of them. He's correcting because of the wrong doctrine that's being permitted in the church. He's, ready, he's addressing it. And to six of the seven churches, he has a strong word. He says, I want you to repent. I want you to get back to the right ways. I want you to repent. There's only one church that seems to have passed without any rebuke. It's a church in Philadelphia. He says, okay, you, go, you guys are doing all right. You know? and, uh, and to each of these churches, he gives them a promise for overcoming. That's chapters two and three. That is pretty quick, isn't it? <laughs> so now we are in chapter four, verse one, where in chapter four, verse one, John uh, hears a voice from heaven. Uh, he sees the door open and he hears a voice from heaven saying, come up hither. And he's taken up into heaven. And he now begins to see things that are to take place. For from chapter four is a vision of things that will take place in the future. You with me so far? Yes, and, and he begins to see those things. Now, chapter 4 and chapter 5 uh, describe to us uh, a worship scene in heaven where you see the Lord, the, uh, God the Father, the, God the Son. You see the Holy Spirit there. Now, when you read in ch chapter 1, chapter 4, chapter 5, the Bible uses, uh, talks about seven spirits having seven eyes and seven lamps uh, and seven, this is in Revelation 4 verse 5, you see seven horns, seven eyes, seven lamps. And seven spirits. Now, the word seven in the, in the New Testament uh, simply means, or in the Bible, simply means perfection or completion. Now, in the book of Revelation, many times you, use, you, hear, you see the word seven being used. Seven, there are times we have to interpret the word seven to mean uh, uh, th that it's used prophetically as a prophetic image. Talking about perfection or completion. And there are times when seven means a literal number. Seven. Seven years means seven years. Right now, in Revelation four and five, to be very careful because it talks about seven spirits. It doesn't mean there are seven spirits. It means it's the perfect and complete Holy Spirit having seven eyes. It doesn't mean Holy Spirit has seven eyes, right? Or seven horns, or seven lamps. What does it? it these are prophetic images. That means the Holy Spirit is complete. Horn represents power, authority, and so He's complete in His power. It talks about His omnipotence. The uh, seven lamps talk, talk about his, uh, the light that spreads, that's pervasive. Uh, talking about his omnipresence, complete in his presence. The seven uh, eyes talking about him knowing everything. He's complete, he's omniscient, he knows everything. Are you with me? So when you interpret the word seven, seven lamps, seven eyes, seven horns, seven spirits, don't, don't interpret as saying there are seven different Holy Spirits. There's only one Holy Spirit. But that word seven talks about perfection and completion. You with me so far? Yes? All right. So Revelation 4, uh, John is having this vision of heaven. He's seeing um, the 24 elders. Now these 24 elders are redeemed people. Uh, and therefore we see that the rapture, this is one reason why we say the rapture of the church has to take place before the beginning of the tribulation. Because you've got these elders already in heaven. And the only way they could have gotten there is through the rapture. Are you with me? And they're already sitting on the throne and wearing crowns. Means they've already got their rewards. So the scene that John is seeing in heaven at that time is a scene, he's seeing all the church already in heaven. And there here you see 24 elders sitting uh, on either side of the, of the throne of God, they've got their rewards, but they're also participating in the worship of the God who sits on the throne. And so you get a picture of worship in Revelation chapter 4. 
and in Revelation chapter 5, there is a little dilemma in heaven because there is a scroll that has information, all the things that are about to unfold, which is to be revealed to John, but nobody seems worthy to open that scroll until the Lamb of God shows up. And he comes in and he's the only one who's allowed to open the scroll. And see, he opens the scroll and he begins to unveil to John the things that are going to take place. So there are seven seals. So in the book of Revelation, there are seven seals followed by seven trumpets, followed by seven bowls. Each one of these signifies something that is taking place. Many of them indicate judgment or wrath being poured out on the earth. Is it okay? Now here in this case, seven means seven, one after the other. It's a number seven. So we're not uh, interpreting it as prophetic imagery, but we are saying it's literal seven because there are literally seven things that happen. So in Revelation 5, we see that the, the Lamb of God begins to unveil the scroll and he's being worshipped there because he's the only one worthy to do this. Revelation 6 begins uh, the, uh, the actual tribulation, the scenes of what is going to happen. We first begin with the opening of the seals, the seven seals. Each one of the seals signifies something happening. The first seal is open, Revelation 6, 1. And you see in verse 6, Verses 1 and 2, Revelation 6. And John sees a man on a white horse who's coming, who's got a crown given to him, and he goes about conquering. This is a picture of the Antichrist. He comes riding on a white horse as a counterfeit, as a false Christ, to the real Christ who will come, who is the only one who's going to come riding on a white horse. The real Christ. But here, the op opening of the tribulation, the first seal is open. We see the emergence of the Antichrist uh, who has been given power, meaning God is permitting him to do what he's going to do on the earth, uh, starting off for the beginning of the tribulation. Then you see the, seven, uh, the other seals being opened. This is in chapter 6. Uh, second seal is open, verse 3. There is conflict on the earth. Uh, there's a lot of war, war and destruction. Uh, in verses 5 and 6, you see great famine and scarcity of food. In verses 7 and 8, there is great death and destruction uh, and so on. And then the fifth seal, there is great persecution with many being martyred for their faith. So Revelation 6, 9 and 10. When the sixth seal is open, or, or the fifth seal is open, we see that a lot of people are dying for their faith. So what does it tell us? It tells us that there will be people who will believe in the Lord Jesus Christ during the tribulation. They will believe in Jesus. But there are many, many, many are going to be martyred. So throughout the book of Revelation, you will see over and over again scenes of martyred saints up in heaven. People who have been killed for their faith in Jesus during the time of tribulation. And here you see that right at the beginning in Revelation chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. In uh, verses 11 and 12, when the sixth seal is open, there's a lot of uh, ecological disasters, earthquakes, and other phenomena that's uh, uh, impacting the earth. Now, I just want to make mention of these four horsemen. In Revelation, the, sixth, uh, the same chapter that we're just looking at, Revelation 6, we see that the first four seals talk about horses. There are four horses. Now, again, we will have to interpret them as prophetic imagery. It doesn't mean horses start running around the place. Horses represent strength and speed. That means these things are going to come upon the earth, upon man, with strength and speed. Are you with me? So, throughout the book of Revelation, there's a lot of prophetic imagery, and the Bible will, it will interpret itself. The reason we can say something represents something is because the Bible interprets itself. And I'll give you some examples of that as we go through uh, the book of Revelation. So now we come to chapter 7 in Revelation 
where we see that somewhere in the beginning of the tribulation, at the beginning of the tribulation, 144,000 Jews are divinely mocked by God. Now, what actually happens is once the rapture takes place, there will be a mighty outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the earth, especially among the Jewish people, because in Joel chapter 2, Joel prophesied that God will pour out His Spirit upon them, and then there will be signs in heaven and on the earth beneath. So prior to all of that happening, there is going to be a mighty outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon Israel. The church received the spiritual fulfillment of that in Acts chapter 2. But a literal fulfillment of that will take place right there at the beginning of the tribulation. There will be people who will, the Jewish people will turn to the Lord and in, in experience a great revival. And many of them will turn to the Lord. Are you with me so far? Now 144,000 of them, Jewish people from the 12 tribes will be divinely mocked by God. God is saying, I'm going to preserve these people through the first half of the tribulation. So they will be divinely mocked and they will be, not be affected by the, the, the various, uh, the devastation that's taking place, especially towards uh, the land of Israel. So we read about that in Revelation, the seventh chapter. Uh, it is very likely that these uh, 144,000 Jews are being used by God to proclaim the gospel around the world. Um, uh, we, we say this because of what we see in chapter 14. We'll come to that, but just keep this thought in mind. In chapter 14, we once again see the 144,000 Jews, and they are commended for their work or for, the, for the kingdom of God, for, for, for the Lord Jesus Christ. So it is likely, we can infer from Revelation 7, that these 144,000 Jews are being used by God to proclaim the gospel. But the second part of Revelation 7 again gives another scene of great many people from all peoples, tribes, languages, and tongues who have been killed for the sake of Jesus Christ. Meaning, during the tribulation, many people, some of them might listen to this sermon and turn to Jesus Christ. Right? And, and they might read the books we've left behind. They will read the Bible finally. And turn to Jesus. And so Revelation 7, the second half, has another picture of great multitudes who've died during that time uh, who are now up in heaven. Revelation, the eighth chapter, we see the seventh seal open. And the seventh seal just marks a time of silence in heaven. And then begin the trumpet. Uh, right, sorry, there's a time of silence. And then Revelation 8, chapter 8, verses 3 to 6, we see a lot of prayer coming up in heaven. So it's very likely that down here on earth, chapter 8 is describing a great prayer movement taking place on earth. Because you see the prayers ascending up into heaven. Meaning there are many people down on earth who are just who are turning to the Lord, crying out to God. Who are believing in Jesus, beginning to cry out to God and see the prayers ascending up into heaven. That's Revelation 8 um, verses 3 to 6. And then begin the seven trumpets being uh, sounded. Uh, and each of these are, are resulting in or are announcing some great judgment. Now let's quickly go through it. In Revelation 8 verse 7, there's a first trumpet which results in a third of the vegetation on the earth being destroyed. Uh, verse 8 of Revelation 8 talks about the second trumpet uh, where a third of the sea becomes blood. Verse 10, a third of all water bodies become bitter. Uh, and verse 12, there is darkening of the light coming onto the earth. Uh, uh, resulting in eight additional hours of darkness uh, at that time. In chapter 9, uh, we, uh, the fifth trumpet sounds, and what has never taken place before will take place. Demonic beings who are currently held in the bottomless pit are released on the earth, meaning there is an invasion of demonic power on the earth. Revelation chapter 9, verses 1 through 11. 
and uh, they are going to trouble uh, humans accepting the 144,000 Jews for a period of five months. The sixth trumpet sounds and there is a movement, a mass, a mass movement of troops uh, uh, across the river Euphrates and, there, and it's most likely a nuclear war, the picture given to us there in Revelation 9 verses 13 to 19, uh, resulting in a third of human life being destroyed. And what's interesting in Revelation chapter 9 verses 20 to 21 is that in spite of all of this happening, the Bible is recording here in Revelation 9 verses 20 to 21. In spite of this, there are many people who are continuing unrepentant. They continue to worship idols and their own works of gold and silver and all of that. And they do not repent of, of, of their wicked lifestyle. This is Revelation 9 20 to 21. Are you with me so far? Right? In spite of all this, people are not repenting. So it talks about the hardness of heart that people have during that time. They're not willing to accept the truth of, of, of Jesus Christ. Chapter 10, um, we see a little parenthetical vision that John has. He sees this huge angel standing up between earth and heaven uh, and having a little scroll. And then he, he tells John to eat the scroll. And when John eats this, it's bitter, uh, it's sweet in his mouth. But then it becomes bitter in his stomach. And then the angel tells him, now I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you prophecies that you're going to release to many, many people and nations. So that scroll is representing again prophecies that the angel is going to give to John. And it's telling us that some of it, for, to some of us, that may be sweet. Meaning there's going to be, uh, it's going to be good news. It's going to be about rewards and so on. But to some of us, it's going to be bitter because it's going to talk about judgment and uh, warnings and so on. So this pro the prophecies could be sweet to some and bitter to the others, is what the angel is saying there in Revelation 10. And Revelation chapter 11, we, we see we're now in the middle of the tribulation. So the first three and a half years have elapsed and we're now in the middle of the tribulation. And Revelation 11 tells us that God sends two witnesses on the earth. One we know is Elijah, the prophet. The other one could be either Moses or Enoch. Uh, we are not very sure. Enoch because he was taken up to heaven without dying. Moses because he appeared along with Elijah on the Mount of Transfiguration. So it could be either one of them. We don't know who, for sure. But two of these witnesses will show up on the earth in the middle of the tribulation. And they will live and they will do carry out ministry for this, the second half of the tribulation period. Are you all still with me? Okay, I'm going fast. In case you miss it, uh, the notes will be up on the website so you can go and study the notes. Okay, I'm just trying to give us a quick overview of, of Revelation. So, uh, these two witnesses will be on the earth. They'll be doing mighty miracles. Just the kind, the miracles they do are very similar to what Elijah did in his time and what Moses did in his time. That's why people think it's most likely Elijah and Moses. Uh, they'll do these amazing things and, and, and trying to get people to turn to the living God, to the true and living God. And their life will be preserved until towards the end of that three and a half period when the Antichrist will destroy them, will kill them. Their bodies will lie in Jerusalem, on the streets of Jerusalem, for about three and a half days. You read about this in Revelation chapter 11 and verse 11. For about three and a half days, uh, they will be lying dead. So the whole world is going to see it. And that's possible today, through television and through the internet. You see what's happening just everywhere in this world. And so the world will see, the world will be very happy that these two witnesses have been destroyed. And, uh, but... After three and a half days, the Bible says that before the eyes of the world watching, these two men are going to stand up. 
and they're going to be caught up into heaven. They, just like how Jesus left and how the rapture will take place, they will be caught up and taken into heaven. This is towards the end of uh, uh, this tribulation period, towards the end of the seven years. And in Revelation 11, uh, kind of uh, uh, the, the seventh trumpet sounds. This is in Revelation 11, verse 15. And there is an announcement about what is going to happen in the future. That the kingdoms of this world are going to become the kingdoms of our Lord in Christ. It's an announcement that this is drawing near. And we see that culminated actually taking place in Revelation 19. Now, in Revelation 12, are you all with me so far? I'm going to ask you just, just to make sure you're with me. Okay. Uh, Revelation 12 uh, is, is a little difficult passage uh, because John is having a vision or he's seeing things that some of it has taken place and some of it that is going to take place. What does he see? In Revelation 12, he sees a woman, a man-child, and the dragon. The woman, as you read chapter 12, is basically the people of Israel. Because the woman gave birth to the man-child. The man-child is the someone who's going to rule the nations with a rod of iron. Any guess who the man-child is? Yeah, it's Jesus. He is the one who's going to rule the nations with a rod of iron. So the woman, Israel gives birth to the man-child, or gave birth to the man-child. So this is in the past. This is the first few verses of Revelation 12. And uh, now, because of that, the dragon, who is the dragon? Satan, the devil. He is very angry with the woman, right? He's very angry with the woman, with, with the Jewish people, with Israel. So really, the tribulation is a time is one of Satan getting back against the people of Israel because they, through them, came the man child, the one who is going to rule the nations with the rod of mine. So we see that given to us there. And then at that time in Revelation 12, um, uh, verses 7 through 12, we see an engagement, taking uh, a battle taking place in the heavenly realms. Right now we know that in the heavenlies, not in the third heaven, God dwells in the third heaven, but in the heavenly realms or in the heavenlies is where Satan and all his demon, demonic spirits operate. And so in the heavenlies, there's this picture of Michael, the archangel, the angels of God fighting against Satan and his, his, his hosts. And Satan is thrown back to the earth or pushed down to the earth. And he comes to the earth. In Revelation 12, the next few verses say that he comes with great vengeance knowing that his time is very short. And with great vengeance, he goes after this woman, Israel. But the Bible says there in Revelation 12 that God divinely protects this woman. So this is in verse 14. That for a time, times, and half a time. One plus two plus half. Three and a half years. For time, times, and a half. This woman is divinely, God divinely protects her from the wrath of the dragon. What does the dragon do? It says that he tries to spew out of his mouth. Uh, that means he's trying to get uh, uh, people... Uh, to uh, uh, to come against uh, against Israel to get to speak all kinds of things against the Jewish people, and he's getting them to come against them. But God is divinely protecting His people during that three and a half year period, which is the second half of the tribulation. Are you with me so far? Yes, Revelation twelve. Now, Revelation thirteen kind of backtracks to the beginning of the period of tribulation because now we need to know about the beast and the second beast. Now, when you read about the beast and the second beast, remember, these are prophetic images and these are not dinosaurs, right? 
So Revelation 13, 1, you see the beast coming out of the sea. In the Bible, sea represents multitudes of people. So here's an example that i like to point you to on how prophetic images are interpreted in Scripture. So in Revelation 13, 1, you're reading about sea. What does sea represent? So if you go now to Revelation 17, let me point you to this verse. And verse 15 it says here, the waters which you saw, where the harlot sits. Now, there's another image of the harlot. We'll come to that in Revelation 17.1. But the waters are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. So, prophetic image is being interpreted by Scripture itself. Water, sea. One of the images in the, in the book of Revelation represents peoples, nations, and tongues. So when it talks about the beast coming out of the sea, so don't imagine in your mind uh, this big dinosaur coming out of the Indian Ocean. <laughs> no, 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 no. What it's talking about is a leader who is emerging from among the nations. Okay? So the first beast who emerges is in Revelation 13 verse 1 is the Antichrist. He comes in and we read about him that, that you know, and we've talked about the Antichrist Verse 2 talks about the fact that uh, he's a combination of the leopard, the bear, and the lion. The leopard uh, uh, representing the... I need to look at my notes here. I'm going too fast. Yeah, the, the Greek... Yeah, so the leopard, uh, the Grecian... You're right. You've been paying attention. <laughs> uh, the leopard represents the Grecian empire, the bear, the Medo-Persian, and the lion, the Babylonian. So we, we said this last time when we looked at Daniel's prophecies, how this world leader is going to emerge from this, this is going to be a combination. It's going to come from the former Roman Empire, which comprised of all these uh, previous empires. So that's brought to us there in Revelation 13 2. Uh, he comes up, uh, he has 10 leaders under his control, uh, talking a uh, reference there with the, uh, with the picture we see of 10 horns. Uh, uh, crowns having in, demonstrating influence, uh, seven heads, seven kingdoms that emerges from. We've talked about this through Daniel's revelation last Sunday. So Revelation 13 talks about this Antichrist uh, rising up. Uh, he makes war against the saints. Verse 6, he blasphemes against God, which happens right there in the middle of the tribulation uh, and so on. And then in verse 11 of Revelation 13, we see a second beast. Now the second beast is a false prophet. He is the leader of a false religion, of a worldwide religious system. He's a false prophet who emerges somewhere in the time of the tribulation, most likely by the middle of the tribulation, where he emerges as a leader of a worldwide religious system that has been embraced by many leaders and peoples or nations. They've embraced this religious system. Here comes the second beast, the false prophet. His one objective is to get everybody to worship the beast. To worship the Antichrist. To worship the Antichrist. Worship the beast. That's his role. That's his job. So you have the beast and the second beast. The Antichrist and the false prophet. And they are both backed up by the dragon. The dragon is working behind the scenes. That means the Antichrist and the false prophet are supernaturally empowered by the devil himself. To go about doing what they're doing. And therefore they're able to demonstrate a lot of power here on earth. You're with me so far? Okay, made it to the end of Revelation 13. Now, Revelation 14. Revelation 14 gets us into a scene in heaven where now we see the 144,000 Jewish people in the presence of God. So it is very likely that this passage doesn't tell us how they got into heaven. So it is very likely 
that the 144,000 Jews who have been divinely mocked by God in the first period of the tribulation, somewhere in the middle of the tribulation, are raptured into heaven. The reason we can say that is because in Revelation 14 and verse 4, it says that they are redeemed from among men, being first fruits to God and to the Lamb. They are first fruits. The word first fruits, you also see that in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 50, I think it was 23, when it talks about resurrection and a glorified body. The word is used there in that connection. So here are the first fruits, the first set of people who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ from the nation of Israel since the rapture. They, somewhere in the middle of the rapture, are taken up into heaven and you see them before the throne of God worshiping the Lamb. Are you with me so far? And Revelation 14, verses 1 through... Uh, 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 one through five, you, you, you see them being commended for who they are and for their work they did. It says in verse five, in their mouth was not found no deceit, for they are without fault before the throne of God. I mean, they, they spoke the right things. They lived a righteous life. So these, these, the, it, their life is commended uh, right there uh, before the throne of God. Now the rest of, uh, uh, so in Revelation, the 14th chapter, the apostle John is having seven uh, visions, uh, having vis seven visions or visions of seven different events that are taking place, uh, which will take place at different points in time during the tribulation. So the first vision was this, that he sees 144,000 up in heaven. There are other six visions that we see listed there in the 14th chapter. Uh, in verse 6, he sees this vision of an angel flying all around the world, proclaiming the eternal gospel. Now, some people have been interpreted that angel to be some sort of a satellite television, God TV or something else, uh, that's proclaiming the gospel to the whole world. I don't know, but we'll just leave it at as an angel that's proclaiming the eternal gospel to the whole world. Okay? You with me so far? Okay. He sees another vision uh, in verse 8. Uh, he hears another angel announcing Babylon has fallen. We'll come to that in chapter 17 and 18. But he hears the another, announce, another vision or another announcement. And then in verse 9, he sees another angel announcing and uh, telling people, do not receive the mark of the beast. So... I missed that in chapter 13. So if you just backtrack to chapter 13, the end of chapter 13, uh, once the Antichrist emerges and the false prophet, they are going to introduce what we see in chapter 13 as a mark of the beast, 666, which is uh, a sort of an identification system that will be enforced on people globally. Uh, and only if you subscribe to that identification system Will you be able or given permission to participate or transact economically, do things economically? Only will you be able to participate in the economic system of that time. So the Antichrist is going to introduce this identification system, force it on people. It's called, it's called the mark of the beast. Right? So any other identification is okay, but not the mark of the beast. Right? So now we know today that technology is there to actually make this happen. Right? Many nations have their identification system already in place. Uh, I'm not saying that is the mark of the beast. It's just their identification system. But he is going to bring something in, causing people to, uh, to forcibly take this if they wanted to, want to participate in the economic system. Um, that's in chapter 13. Now we, are back to, we go back to chapter 14, uh, where John is looking at, he sees these seven different visions of different events taking place uh, during the time of the tribulation. So, uh, the third angel, verse 9, uh, is, is, is advising people, do not embrace the mark of the beast. And then we see another vision 
of uh, those uh, patients of the saints. This is in verse 12 of chapter 14, where uh, those who have refused to take the mark of the beast, they are being commended before God. In, in verse 14, he sees the other vision of a great end time harvest uh, of people being brought in to the kingdom of God. And then the last vision there, the seventh vision in chapter 14, is a vision of the winepress of the anger of God, which is basically a foreview of the battle of Armageddon, which will happen there in chapter 19. Still with me? Okay. Chapter 15. So chapter 15 is a very small parenthetical chapter where John, uh, he sees people worshiping God in heaven. Again, you see a lot of people who have refused to take the mark of the beast. They are now being martyred. And they are appearing before God in heaven. They're singing the song of Moses. They're worshiping before the throne. And he also sees seven angels getting ready to pour out the seven bowls of wrath. That's chapter 15. Then in chapter 16, we see these bowls of wrath being poured out on the earth one after the other. And each representing some sort of calamity or devastation taking place here on the earth. Chapter 16. So the first bowl, uh, you see there are sourced um, just affecting people. The second one, second bowl, chapter 16, verse 3, uh, the sea is turned to blood. Uh, the third bowl, uh, rivers, spring, uh, rivers and springs are turning to blood. Uh, there's a declaration uh, in verses 5 to 7 about the vengeance of God. Uh, in the fourth bowl, men are scorched with intense heat. The fifth bowl, judgment is poured out. And uh, there is darkness and pain on Antichrist's own kingdom. So he's, he has his own space uh, over that seven kings. And over the, his kingdom, there is darkness and pain. In the sixth bowl, there is uh, the r river Euphrates drying up. And it's in preparation for the battle of Armageddon for the armies to cross uh, to come against uh, Israel. And in the seventh bowl, which is verses 17 to 21, there are great earthquakes and hailstones. Uh, it is itself a picture of what will take place in Armageddon. Chapter 17 and 18. Interesting. In chapter 17, we read about um, uh, 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 an image about, of, uh, about what is referred to here in chapter 17 as the great harlot or mystery Babylon, whom the kings of the earth commit fornication and so on. Now, when the Bible is using the word fornication in this sense, in, in Revelation, I'm not saying in every place, it's talking about a spiritual departure from the truth. Okay? So very often that is used to talk about uh, fornication and adultery and so on. It's talking about a spiritual departure from the truth. Now, in Revelation 17, we read about the great harlot or the mystery Babylon which really describes to us this world religious system that is promoted by the false prophet, which is subscribed to by many leaders and many people across the nations. And they all begin to participate in this worldwide religious system, which the Antichrist, the false prophet, the ten leaders that are part of, who are supporting the Antichrist and who have received their power from the Antichrist, and they're all promoting this one worldwide religious system. But somewhere along the way, you read in Revelation 17, that uh, this is in verse 11 and 12, that uh, they turn against this whole system. They begin to tear down this entire system because ultimately the goal is for people not just to participate in that system, but to worship the beast himself. Are you with me? Right? So this mystery Babylon, this worldwide religious system is torn down, is pulled down, and people are now forced to worship uh, the Antichrist, the beast himself. In chapter 18, we read about Babylon the Great, 
So Babylon is used once again, but it's used in a different context. In the Bible, you have Babylon used in three different ways. One, Genesis 11 talks about the city of Babylon. Second, Genesis 17 talks about a religious world, a worldwide religious system. In chapter 18 of Revelation, it's talking about uh, the global economic and political system that has been put in place by the Antichrist. In chapter 18, there's a description of all the people participating, uh, transacting. They, they make a lot of money and, and their great wealth is amassed as, as they participate in this, in this global economic system. But somewhere along the way, this whole thing collapses. And so they, there's the announcement, Babylon the Great is fallen. This whole economic system collapses. And then the Bible says there in... Uh, in chapter 18, if you read the second part of it, that the merchants of the world, they, uh, they see all their riches are gone and they begin to, uh, verse 17, for in one hour, such great riches came to nothing. Revelation 17, uh, eight, 18, verse 17. What does it say? In one hour, all their great riches came to nothing. It's just gone. All disappeared. So Babylon the Great falls. This entire economic system is gone. This is Revelation 18. So now we move into Revelation 19 and uh, uh, Revelation 19 begins by this celebration in heaven because of the fall of Babylon. Both the religious system that man put their trust in and the economic system that man put their trust in is fallen and there is a pronouncement of, of, of great triumph in heaven, Revelation 19. And then we read about the marriage supper of the Lamb. This is in Revelation 19 uh, verses 7 through uh, nine, uh, where we participate in this great marriage supper with the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And Revelation 19 verse 9 says, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. So with that, we're now to the very end of that seven-year period. With that, the believers in heaven have received their rewards. Uh, their works have been tried. They've received their rewards. They're now participating in the marriage supper of the Lamb. And what happens? The Lord prepares to come back. This is in Revelation 19, 11. You see Jesus as a mighty warrior sitting on, 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 on a white horse. And he's coming back to strike the nations with a rod of iron. Revelation 19 and verse 15. And here he's treading the winepress of the fierceness of, the, of Almighty God. And then... Revelation 19, 17 to 21 is the battle of Armageddon. Where all the armies are gathering together in the valley of Megiddo. Uh, and they're uh, coming against Israel. And the Lord Jesus himself intervenes. And he defeats the Antichrist and all the armies of the world that have come together with him. He destroys them. And the, ant, the beast, verse, Revelation 19, verse 20. The beast and the false prophet are now captured and they are thrown into the lake of fire. Banished forever. And so Jesus then sets up, proceeds to set up his throne on the earth. That's the beginning of the 20th chapter, Revelation, the 20th chapter. So if you go back and look at the image, um, we are now at the very end of the tribulation period and the beginning of the millennium. That's Revelation chapter 20, verse 1 onwards. So what we see here is this, that Satan is bound for a period of 1,000 years. That's Revelation 20 and verse 2. Uh, and he shut up there for 1,000 years. And then we see that there is a resurrection of the tribulation saints. That is Revelation 20 verse 4. That means all those who have faith, who believed in Jesus Christ during the tribulation, who have been killed, who have been martyred, are now raised up with glorified bodies at that point in Revelation 20 and verse 4. And Jesus rules on the earth for 1,000 years. His saints administer his kingdom on the earth for 1,000 years. At the end of that 1,000-year period, 
uh, Satan is released for a very brief moment for his one last chance to try and deceive people. It is also a final test of who is really going to follow Jesus or not for those people who have been born during that 1,000 year period. So people will be born. Uh, the earth will continue to be repopulated during that thousand year reign of Jesus. And this is their one last test for those who have been born uh, during that time. Uh, Satan is released for a brief moment. And then he is finally caught. This is Revelation 20 and verse 10. And he's cast forever into the lake of fire. Revelation 20 verses 11 uh, to 15 describes the great white throne judgment. That's the last judgment. So here what we see is that every person who ever lived is raised up and he stands before the throne of God and the books are open and the Bible says uh, that whosoever name was not written in the Lamb's book of life is cast into a lake of fire. That's Revelation 20 and verse 15. And then Revelation 20, 21 verse 1 talks about new heavens and a new earth. So the, the whole earth is renovated by fire as we saw from Second Peter chapter 3. The whole world is renovated. Everything is destroyed. There are new heavens and a new earth. And Revelation 21, the city of Jerusalem that God himself has built now descends here on earth. And it's like heaven has relocated to earth. God sets up his dwelling here on earth. The tabernacle of God is with man. Revelation 21. And, uh, and, God, and, and there is perfect peace. The world the way God intended it to be. There is no more tear. No more crying. No more sorrow. Revelation 22 talks about a river of life flowing out of Jerusalem. Uh, uh, through the city. Where people can drink of this river of life. And they can eat of the trees on the sides of the, tree, of the river. Uh, these are the trees. This is the tree of life that, that keeps us in health and strength. No more sickness, no more pain. The Bible talks about the city, that the city uh, is paved with gold. And uh, the, the, the gates of the city are, are made of pearl uh, with the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. The foundations of the city have the 12 apostles of the Lamb bringing the church and Israel all together in one people of, of, of you know, all together, we're in, in this heavenly, uh, in, this, in this city here on earth, uh, that is the new heavens and the new earth, all worshiping God and serving God and doing what he wants. And so Revelation 22 uh, describes a little bit, gives us a little bit of understanding of what new heavens and a new earth would look like. I want to close Revelation, this whole summary here, reading a few verses from chapter 22. I'll read verse 16. This is what Jesus says. He says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things. In the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. And the spirit and the bride say, Come. Let him who hears say, Come. Let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take of the water of life freely. Meaning, right now the invitation is open. If you're thirsty, you come, you can drink of the water of life. And the spirit and the bride, the church, what are they saying? They are saying, Come, come Lord Jesus, come. And Revelation 22 closes off with this. He says in verse 20, Surely I am coming quickly. And we respond even so. Come Lord Jesus. Amen. Ah, so now you understood the book of Revelation. <laughs> All right. I don't know how many minutes it took, but we got through. Now let's just worship. Yeah, let's just, uh, just thank the Lord. We call our worship team up. Now, I'd encourage you to go back and read it if you want to study all of that in detail. Uh, but what an amazing thing. You know, the very first sermon that we started the series on, we talked about the validity of the Bible as a prophetic book. How so many 
hundreds of the Old Testament, hundreds of prophecies given by the prophets throughout the scripture have been fulfilled. Have been fulfilled. And we looked at the probability of some of them that, you know, some of them were one in 10 to the power of 15. The probability that they would have happened by chance. One, like, I mean, it's so unlikely that it was a chance event. But it's definitely an act of God for that particular prophecy to be fulfilled. And some of them have been so detailed. When Daniel said there'll be 483 years before the crucifixion of Christ, between the announcement to go back to Israel, it was exactly 483 years and Jesus was crucified. And he was prophesying 700 years before, or, or 700 years before Jesus. He was prophesying that. So the Bible as a prophetic book is completely reliable. And here we have the book of Revelation. Yes, there's a lot of prophetic imagery and we may not be 100% sure on certain things and the exact timing of certain things, but we've got a book that is telling us what is going to happen. And like the, the Revelation begins, blessed are those who read it and to keep it. Or live by the, what is revealed in this book. Blessed are those. I want to encourage you and me. Let our faith in the Lord Jesus just grow stronger. Let our love for Him just increase even more. And in case there's anyone amongst us this morning that you're straddling the fence or maybe, you know, you're not sure where you are in your relationship with God, I want to just urge you, I just want to welcome you and say, don't straddle the fence anymore. Don't think twice about whether you should follow Jesus or not. Follow Him. He's coming back. He said, I'm coming quickly. It's up to us to be ready. Amen? So let's take a few moments just to sing, just worship. Let's stand up to our feet, please. And, and uh, let this become a time where you, from the bottom of your heart, you're saying, even so, come, Lord Jesus. As we we're closing this series on the end times but definitely we're not in any way diminishing our, our desire for His coming or our anticipation of His return. In fact, we're taking it up to a new level. We're willing to live according in response to that and saying even so come Lord Jesus. Take this moment for you to engage with the Lord. If your life was not right with God this morning, please get right with God. If you're not if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, then this morning, you give your life to Him. Just right where you are. You pray and say, Jesus, I'm putting my life in your hands. And I want to be part of your church that gets taken up into heaven. I want to be part of that company of people who will be in heaven, not left behind on, behind on earth to go through all of this devastation and all of that that we read about. I don't want to be here. I want to be there in heaven with you, Jesus.
Jesus come, even so come, even so come, Lord Jesus come, even so come, Lord Jesus come, there will be justice. quickly he also added to it saying 
If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink of the water of life freely. And that promise is available to each one of us right now. He said, I'm coming. I'm coming back. But if you are thirsty, you can drink of the water of life freely right now. Right now. That means he's offering life. He's offering salvation. He's offering eternal life to you and me right now to anyone who's thirsty this morning there's anyone here this morning and you, you feel like I need to get my life right with God I'm not sure if I have eternal life you feel that you need to make that decision to receive the eternal life that Jesus Christ is offering you and me and if you've never done it before or if you feel in your heart that you need to get right with Jesus and I want to lead you in a simple prayer that you can pray with me right now if you feel in your heart you want to do this if you've never done it before just pray this with me Lord Jesus I ask you to forgive my sin I want to be right with you. I receive eternal life that you give to me freely. I receive you as my Lord and as my Savior. And I want to follow you the rest of my life. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's close, please. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God, our Father, and the sweet fellowship, partnership of His Holy Spirit be with each one of us always. Amen. God bless you. Have a great Sunday and uh, see you again. We trust that this message was a blessing to you. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at contact at apcwo.org. Also visit our website www.apcwo.org for additional resources. Thank you for listening and God bless you.